You're listening to The New Paris. Think it's only French food that dominates the dining scene in Paris? You'd be mistaken. And some of the best food is actually cooked by foreign chefs who came to the city to train, learn, handle some of the world's highest quality products, and then give back. Some bring their cultures to the dining landscape, while others offer their interpretations on Gallic classics. Today's guest is Peter Orr, an Australian chef who brings his experience cooking on three different continents to Roubaix, his new restaurant. Thanks for being here, Pete. Pleasure. Um, last time I saw you, you were making fresh gnocchi. Yes. Among other incredible things. Thank you. Yeah. Obviously, gnocchi is not traditionally French. No, or Australian. Or Australian, uh, but we'll get to that. So you're from Adelaide. From Adelaide, Australia, yeah. Uh, you're now in Paris, but you've done a few other jumps between there. So how does one take their career from Australia, oh, sure, sure. which is very far away. It I is. It to, is too far, to, to be honest with you. So how did, how did that happen? What are, what's um, that story? Well, I left home at 19 with the kind of goal to fulfill my dreams, become a chef. And uh, back then, Australia certainly wasn't the food destination that it is today. Um, and so the obvious choice was to go to Europe. I'm lucky enough to have a British passport. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, 19 years old, backpack on and, and got on a flight. Really, it was as simple as that. And um, opened the Michelin Guide and, and knocked on doors and handed in CVs and kind of all took off from there. I was uh, ended up at Locando Locatelli as my first restaurant and just loved it. And That was in London? That was in London, yeah. So two years with Giorgio at that restaurant there and then lucky enough to be asked to open his restaurant in Dubai. Ah, hence the uh, the move yeah, a little so bit further away. Exactly. So then went to Dubai, did a year there, missed London and missed that sort of lifestyle and culture that London offers uh, and went back and did a good five years, five and a bit years maybe in London. Um, and then, yeah, the opportunity came to, to move to Paris and, and work at Au Passage and I jumped at it. So Au Passage is, is kind of, I mean, no matter how long it's been open, you kind of get the sense that there's a whole host of people that are always just discovering it and falling in love with it. Totally, totally. But what is the, what is the appeal there? I think what the Audrey and John Charles, the owners, do very well is they really trust the kitchen and they really let the chef who's running it to really spread their wings, you know. And, and they're also very good at letting young chefs get in there and, and go for it. So each, each chef that changes really does bring their own dynamics. So, yeah, you're still in the same space with a similar wine list and the atmosphere is always great and fun, but, you know, the chef really... Gives, gives his taste on the food, and I think that's why people can kind of rediscover it. And it's all small, All small plates. It's plates. changed a little bit over the recent years. When I was there, it was sort of small, you know, tapas or mm-hmm. shareable plates. I think they've gone slightly larger at a slightly larger price now, but still sort of designed to share, yeah. And it's interesting because they've often had Australian chefs. Yeah, well, James Henry was the first one there. Okay, so you were just after him. Uh, no, I was a few after him. So it was actually James, Sean, and then Ed, and I sort of was there with Ed. I was never the chef at Opassage. Okay, yeah, okay. I worked there with Ed and then Kina. Okay, yeah. okay. So, all, wow, God, it's like all of you yeah, sort it was of coming a, up in this little school together. Totally, totally, totally. And did they intentionally, did the owners intentionally look to foreign chefs? Uh, I think maybe not intentionally. I feel like it was just a natural progression after James you know, Sean was his mate and they worked together in Australia and, you know, you sort of, oh, I've got, you want to move on, but you have a friend that wants that opportunity that you had. And I guess that's why foreigners were kind of attracted mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. And I mean, it was so successful. Why would you sort of change it? Right. You know, you don't break what's yeah, what's working. Not, yeah. So did you actually train in Australia then? Very briefly. I did six month schooling, mm-hmm. uh, full time, uh, while working on the weekends, scrubbing dishes and, and doing all that sort of stuff. And then I got a job and did a, a start of my apprenticeship. So I did one year cooking as a second year apprentice and then, and then left sort of 
had bigger dreams, I guess, and, and went on. So it really is learning on the job. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's the best way. I think that's the only way, to be honest. I mean, it's in, I think it's interesting because the French tend to go through a very formatted... Sure, sure. Uh, training program, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's only, you know, there's the CAP, which is, I guess it's more like a, um, a one-year mm-hmm. intensive vocational mm-hmm. training that isn't full school. Sure. Um, and I guess it gives them the, the, the basic knowledge and the hygienic yeah. principles and which things like that. Which is always so important as well. But it does seem like in, in the Anglo, Anglo-Saxon world, and I'm also speaking for the U.S., it uh-huh. seems that people can just sort of like get them get in there and figure it out. Totally. And I think that's just the real beauty of the industry. You can, you can be anyone and wanting, wanting to work hard and wanting to learn and you'll get a job, no problem. And so what did London offer you? Uh, I mean, just the size of the place. And at the end of the day, to run a successful restaurant, you need to be busy. And that means you need to have customers and you need to have people that want to spend money in restaurants. So, you know, the bigger the city, the more restaurants and the more sort of just capital that these things can produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 10 years ago, you know, it was London and New York and, and maybe Tokyo and London for me was just the obvious choice. And as I said, managed to get into a really good restaurant and loved it. Yeah. So how did the opportunity arise in Paris then? Because I'm, I'm always fascinated by how Paris is sort of this never ending draw for foreign yeah, chefs, yeah. not just Anglo-Saxon chefs, no, but, totally, yeah. but like, what is the appeal there? Um, I mean, for me, it was never planned. I knew towards the end of London, I wanted to go somewhere else. New York again, was a real hot topic and something that I was really interested in. Um, and then I got an opportunity to come to Opassage for three weeks to help out because I knew Ed from London mm-hmm. uh, and they had two chefs going on holiday and there was a bit too much stress. And I, I just literally got on the Eurostar and, and came and did three weeks and stayed at Ed's place and uh, wow, just absolutely loved it. You know, it was such a fresh change to these big Michelin kitchens in London, having a sort of smaller team, real nice close connection to the products and the customers and the bosses. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. But so beyond your unique experience, because mm-hmm. obviously that's sort of like a you have to just be ready to totally get totally. on a train and do that. Uh, what is the never ending intrigue of this prospect of cooking in Paris for people, do you think? Um, I mean, definitely the, the quality of products is just incredible. It's it's. I mean, it's amazing. The dairy and the cheese and all these things, the cream and the creme fraiche and all these things that they have here in France is just second to none. It really is. Um, And again, I really feel like the connection to the the customers is so lovely here. You know, we have an open kitchen and every night someone's coming over to speak and say thank you or interested in this or where did you get that from? And I feel like that is sort of part of the French culture with the way they see food and the way they like to interact with cooks and Mm -hmm. waiters and waitresses and... um, I think that's great. I think as a professional, that's what you want. You want that feedback from someone to say, wow, that was really good. Or where did you get this carrot from? Or who are you using for your beef? Do you and think I, that, that French diners are more curious? Yeah, I think, um, I think so. And I think definitely more in touch with the seasons and the quality of products is organic. You know, are you doing it on site? Is you, are you buying it in? And mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's definitely part of the culture here. Absolutely. And that's great, as I said, great for a professional to have that feedback. So it's been how long now since you've been in Paris? Uh, I, I lose a little bit of track. I think four and a half years we're about. Okay. Yeah. So think back to when you first arrived and then to now. What uh-huh. are some of the things that initially surprised you about the dining scene here, mm-hmm. especially having come off of all these years in London? And mm-hmm. then, you know, what still surprises you today? Well... Um, what surprised me about the dining thing? I guess the, the it, it was a huge trend for small plates, natural mm-hmm. wine, um, 
almost in between Bar à Manger and the restaurant, you know, and that was that was really it, you know. There was, that was, I felt like that was the kind of choices. You had these high-end tasting menus or small plate tapas, kind of really fun, energy-filled places, which was really surprising to me, you know. Yeah, um, London seems a little bit more feel designed like, and polished. and Yeah, and I feel like in London you maybe just have maybe that level of restaurant that's not at a tasting menu really fixed at set price and not sort of small plates, tapas, you know. There's a bit more of that middle range, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, and, that, and again, I think coming into Passage, go back to Passage, to really have the owners just say, go for it, feel you, do whatever you want, cook good food and we'll support you. And in, in London that doesn't happen as much and I think there's a lot more pressure on money and a lot more pressure on, you know, giving exactly what it says on the postcard. And right. I feel like in that was really it's such a pleasant surprise. It's a great surprise to see that. And as a chef, do you feel like you need like somewhere between all those boundaries and no boundaries you know, that at Opa says yeah, you're surely, sort of surely. so autonom- I, autonomous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it just depends on where you are in your career, you know, to, to get into a big kitchen at 19, fresh faced and, and really not know what to expect. And to be told this is the way it's done and you will say yes, it, I think is fine. You know, I think you need that when you're training and you need to learn in that environment. I think for a young cook to come into a more rock and roll place and, you know, you might not get those basic skills, good chopping skills, good fresh prep, how to work clean, how to work efficient, you know. So I think you need both. I do think you need both. Well, I guess you run into the problem of consistency if you totally. don't have those. Totally, totally, you know. Um, and so now, obviously, you, you're, you're often at your restaurant, so not that you have all that much time <laughs> no. to go eating elsewhere, but, I mean, now I feel like we're sort of, everyone's like, oh, sharing plates, oh, we've been yeah. there, done that. So what is exciting to you now in what you've seen or heard or... Yeah, I mean, I think... Again, the last three months I've been at the restaurant, <laughs> uh, too many hours a day, to be right. completely honest with yeah. you. Um, it's certainly, that's something that's changed, maybe not directly directly for food, but certainly like the coffee that's, that's taken off in Paris that I've, has been a huge change since when I first got here. It was, you know, I knew one one spot maybe where you could get a nice coffee four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's changed completely in the last four years. You could, hundreds or hundreds. There's lots of places doing really good coffee and then really good food that comes along with that, you know, um, whether that's just a classic brunch or, or breakfast dishes or more involved and more interesting. Um, but, but what's exciting is that even in a place like yours – and other restaurants that are sort of between like modern bistro and sure, fine dining, sure. they're paying more attention to the coffee too. Absolutely, yeah. And absolutely. so you told me you're using... Esperanza coffee, yeah. Which is from... Um, I couldn't tell you, unfortunately. Okay. But it is obviously something that is higher quality. You're definitely, not working with definitely. a big no, no, no. manufacturer. Absolutely, yeah. And it's re- I think that's really important as well. In a, in a restaurant, you have to be... I think everything needs to be of a certain standard. You know, if you have a lovely wine list and a lovely menu and your coffee's no good... It doesn't make sense I to know, me. I know, but yeah. it, it seems so obvious, and yet yeah, most people miss that. Totally, totally. Um, and so there's there's a lot that needs evolving, though. Yeah. Uh, and before you were cooking at Robert, mm. you were doing these Thai I was. pop-up <laughs> nights, which people might think like, oh, well, you know, is there a huge audience for that? Mm. But people were yeah. booking those nights out solid. Yeah, so we did what, really well. First of all... Thai food, obviously, in Australia is much more developed. Absolutely. No question. I imagine that's because of the population. Yeah, and just the location in the world, I think, yeah. So what is it that you were cooking there that, like, blew people away? I mean, I think it's first to say I was really lucky to work with David Thompson in London, who was the first chef to win a Michelin star for Thai food, and now has a restaurant in Bangkok, 
which is in the top 50 in the world. I think it might even be in the top 15 in the world or something like that. Um, and I have spent sort of seven months in Thailand after working at that restaurant. So those two experiences together were just amazing for that sort of cuisine. Um, and I was just doing the food, the Thai food that I want to eat and the Thai food that I can cook in Paris with the ingredients available and, and doing it, everything homemade, all the curry paste, all the coconut cream, um, yeah, and just sort of maybe offering a style of Thai food that you don't find outside of Thailand or outside of these restaurants that have the capacity to produce that sort of food, yeah. Well, because what would you, how would you describe the Thai food that you do typically see here? I mean, there's a lot of Pad Thai. There's and- a lot of Pad Thai, a lot of, a lot of kind of sort of dumbed down, I guess you could yeah. say, for the palates and, and making it easier to eat for people that don't have the palate that, you know, when you have a spicy dish in Thailand, it is really, really spicy. And when you have a salty dish in Thailand, it is really salty, you know. Um, and that's the sort of the curse of that cuisine. It's kind of been dulled down around the world because it's it's full on, you know. Um, and I wasn't trained to cook Thai food like that, so I just did it the way, the way you I, knew how. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there were a few people uh, in my friend group who went and, and were like, this is the best Thai food I've ever oh, had. So lovely. But, but they were like, you cannot go if you have a no, sort of in not, not I wouldn't say unsophisticated, but certainly uninitiated. Totally, totally spice palate. Yeah, uh, and so I think in France, especially, they're not sort of geared to eat spicy food. So that's like a next challenge again. Um, and we did have a few people. I think the thing as well, the way that the Thais eat, or the way that the food that I was doing there, is it's designed to be shared and uh, it's designed to be enjoy- enjoyed by the whole table. So. You, you can't go in and have one dish to yourself because one dish might be heavily seasoned in one direction and then the other dish is heavily seasoned in the other direction and then the, the meal sort of comes together, which is really important. And sometimes I think that can be hard to, to tell people at the table, say, I'm really sorry, but you, you won't enjoy it if you all have the same beef salad. You, right, right, <laughs> You need right. to share some things and get things that complement each other and you'll have a much nicer time. So that Thai cooking, however, is like on the complete opposite spectrum of what you're doing at Robert. It's definitely not the same thing. <laughs> so give me the sort of elevator pitch about Robert. And uh, and I think it it requires a little bit of a backstory because before Robert, you were working at I was Bar at Ma- Martin. Bar Martin, yeah. And that's the same Yeah, they're, sort the, of they're the investors and family. my business partners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Martin is very much, I mean, I, I wish I had the perfect words to describe yeah. Martin. Which I mean, it's is just, fun. I, fun was the first word yeah. I was going to say. Um, very unintimidating, yeah. but like the product Yeah, is I king. mean, they're using the same products that we are at Robert. Um, and it's great. Louis is a, is a brilliant host and he runs that place fantastically. It's busy. It's maybe a little bit too busy for me these days. Um, it's just loads of fun. They've got a great wine list. They've got good beer at a good price and really good food at a good price. You know, so everything is super accessible, accessibly totally, priced totally. there. Um, and and so w- when you first told me you were going to be opening up uh, your own place, sort of in the follow-up to, to, to Martin, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so is it the same vibe? Yeah, is it? Yeah. But no. No, not at all. It's completely different. So, okay, so now so, you've, you, yeah. you did Martin yeah. and then... It's definitely... It was before we opened. It was kind of hard to put our finger on exactly what we were trying to do, um, and obviously working at Opassage and Bar Martin here in Paris, they're both very fun, cool places. Um, whereas in London, I was working again those kind of more high end Michelin style fine dining restaurants. And I think what we've tried to do at Robert is, is just kind of bridge that gap where you could say that Martin is is you know halfway between a bar and a restaurant. I think what we're trying to do at Robert is is be halfway between a restaurant and a fine dining restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, still have it just be really lovely service, no tablecloths, very friendly, open kitchen, lovely open windows, you know. But we've spent 
you know, a lot of money on the crockery and a lot of money yeah. on, the, on all the plates are custom made, the tables are custom made, the kitchen's custom designed, you know. And it shows. Yeah, I think so. So that's kind of what we're trying to offer in terms of the feel of the restaurant. Um, we're doing entree plat dessert, which again, I feel like is kind of rare in, in Paris, certainly in the 11th arrondissement of Paris. Not, not as, especially in the more modern genre, I guess. I mean, yeah, totally. it, it's, it's, it's tricky because when you say modern, people think, oh, it's not going to look like what I imagine French cooking to mm-hmm, be. Mm-hmm. But that's not true because what you're doing is sort of like freshening up totally. classics. kind of say we're like equally English, French, and Italian uh, in terms of the cuisine. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a hybrid. Yeah, exactly. But but it's true that the 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 starter main and dessert as a as a concept is like inherently French and yet yeah. we've we've moved away from that. So here you are bringing it back. Yeah, and I think it's just because uh, it gives me a nice range of products to use. It means we can put a little bit more investment into each plate. The menu changes, you know, maybe one dish a week, two dishes every week, something like that. So we're really careful that if it's on the menu, it deserves to be on the menu and it's, it's exactly how we want it. You know, it tastes how we want it, um, which is great. I think with a small plate restaurant, you don't have that. You need to be a bit more changing consistently, keeping it fresh. We, we like to sort of, if it's on the menu, it, it's, it's perfect. You know, it's the way that it needs to be. So what, what was the impetus behind having these fresh pastas and mixing some of these? Di- I mean, it works because, yeah, yeah, again, yeah. I was just there last week, so yeah. I know it works. But like what? Again, I think it was like just missing making it, to be completely honest with you. Okay. And um. You know, I can't deny I spent my first three serious years cooking for an Italian chef. Right. Um, and a problem a lot, you need space to make pasta, you know. So we've actually had a really lovely kitchen counter designed for the initial thought was to make pasta on. And now we've turned that into a table that customers can dine at as well. So that was, you know, definitely a backbone of the restaurant. We've got gnocchi as a garnish with the pork at the moment and also some tortellonis with fev and ricotta. So there's definitely an Italian feel to it, and mm-hmm. I love to eat pasta. I love to make pasta, so I, th- I think that'll be on there for a while, yeah. And then in terms of what you do that's maybe more classically French? I mean, we have a terrine on at the menu, which is rabbit and pork with pistachios and pickles, um, which is, you know, French. That's, that's very French. Very French. But, you know, we, we've got six different types of pickles on the plate. We do that all in-house. Um, we butcher down the – we get the pork in half pieces or quarter pieces and do that all in-house and – you know, we're trying to make it extra special. When and the lamb like, too, right? The lamb, yeah. The lamb comes from Guillaume, uh, who's a good friend of mine who known back from my passage days, and he does lamb, veal, and pork, delivers to Paris once a week uh, from the farm. He comes in a big truck and you, you place wow. your order. I just did, did an order half an hour ago, actually. <laughs> um, and it's brilliant. It's, the, you know, it's, the, it's literally the best you can get. It's sort of been killed two days before, before it gets on the truck, and then you've got it in your fridge in the kitchen. And you're using the entire beast then? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we had... We've got lamb on the menu at the moment. We did some lamb ravioli specials with the breast and the forequarter to use up those cuts. So it's really lovely. It's such a privilege to be able to work like that, you know. But also super sustainable. Exactly, I mean, yeah. I don't know how many French, how many chefs, not just French chefs, sure, but how sure, many sure. chefs are, are doing that. I mean, that's, it's big, it's a, it's a conversation piece now. I mean, mm. I think a lot of chefs are trying to react to consumer expectations that there's less waste. Um, and certainly that's one way to go about it. Absolutely. Um, is that more of just a, a naturally French way of cooking, though? It's definitely something that I've learned from being in okay. in France. Yeah, absolutely. And having that, again, Guillaume's not a butcher. He's a farmer. So right. if you want to buy right. a lamb, he's going to give you a whole lamb. And, and that really puts a lot of, it's challenging, but it also it's, that's the joy of the job, you know, being here's the best product in, in its raw form and you can do what you want with it, you know. And I think the customer really benefits as well because they're not only getting an amazing quality product, but they're seeing it in different ways and, um, 
but it's very old fashioned to eat like beef fillet. You know, there's only one fillet on a beef and it's not really that nice. You know, I'd rather eat the, the cheeks or the tongue or the right. breast. And, and I think that's just important to remember, you know. And the, and the entree plat dessert is something you offer just at lunch or at dinner as well? Uh, so it's exactly the same menu, lunch and dinner, again, which is somewhat different. Um, and the idea is that we want to offer the same if you, if you want to come in at lunch and sit down and have three courses and a bottle of wine, you're more than welcome. And I think that's a great thing to do. I love to do that on my day off. Um, and then at lunch during the week, we do offer a cheaper formule. Okay. Uh, 25 euros entree plat dessert or 21 entree plat or plat dessert. Which is great. Which is great. And still really lovely. Um, still great products, just, you know, not worked maybe in the same way or mm-hmm. a slightly cheaper cut of meat or something like that. So what do you hope? I mean, this is obviously your, this is your yeah, Your baby project now. Deal, yeah. So so what do you hope diners will, like what's the message you're conveying through this? I think um, I really want Robert to be a place where people come to eat, you know, and where people come to eat with someone, whether it's a family member or a girlfriend or a business or a boyfriend or anything like that, and really just sort of focus on each other, focus on the interaction they're having with each other, put your phone away, mm. eat some food, talk to the waiters, come and say hello to the kitchen, you know, and I feel like I feel like there's a few places that food is maybe not the most important thing. You know, people go for an amb- ambiance or the price or to be seen or, you know, can can I take a good photo of this sort of thing? Right, and I feel right. like I just really want people to come down and eat some food and hang out and chill out and enjoy themselves really. And make that the focus. I think so, yeah. I think it has to be. I think it has to be. It's very sad. I'm not, I mean, not sad. There are definitely people who aren't so concerned with the actual food. And that's fair enough. But it does always sort of take me aback. Someone messaged me asking for recommendations for this week for where to where to eat and 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 flat out said, you know, we're more into the fun vibe than what's mm. actually on the plate. And I'm like, you're missing yeah, out. Totally, you're missing totally. out on like a whole big piece of the experience. But fair enough. But I, I really react to what you're what you're putting out there because yeah. we, you know, just down the road there's this sort of Italian Disneyland, okay. Obermama. Okay, wow, yeah, right. You know, I've, I've been, I've been once, um, and it's experience. It's fun. No, to go it's to. fun, right? Yeah. And the, and the food is fine, and totally. everything like that. But it is definitely a place where people have their phones out, and Absolutely. you see someone like Snapchatting while they're eating, yeah, and like yeah. that is not what's going to happen at Obermama. No, no, and it, yeah. and I think that's really refreshing. Yeah, I think so too. I think as well as as a chef and and an owner, like you can only do what you want and what you feel proud of and how you want your space to react. And, and when you're really, you know, well, when I'm really happy with that, I feel like the customers are going to be really happy and the staff are going to be really happy, you know? And so your team, uh, are not all French either, right? You've got no, sort we've, of a mix. We've, we've got a big mix. Yeah. The two French girls on the front, um, Roxanne and Elise, who are great, uh, both got, Elise worked at Opassage. That's where we met. And Roxanne was running spring. Uh, before oh, she right. came to work with us, which That's is right. uh, Daniel Rose, I mm-hmm, suppose. Mm-hmm. So they're absolutely fantastic. And then in the kitchen, we've got a Caribbean guy, uh, me, an English person, and then a Sri Lankan guy as well. So we're a big mix. I mean, that's cooking in Paris today, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, 2018. It's like very modern, I feel. But I think it's nice. Everyone brings their own touch and, and everyone adds something different, which is great. And is there anything distinctly Aussie that you infuse? Like what might be... I think, that, I mean, no. It's probably no, the no, okay. Answer. Wow. It's a... Uh, I mean, I've done most of my cooking in, in London and France, you know. True. So, so I, you I, left a long time ago. Yeah, exactly. And and I worked in some lovely places in Australia, but definitely not at the same caliber as what I've been doing for the last 10 years. So I've, I definitely take more of my influences from, from England and France and I guess Italy as well through through Giorgio. Mm-hmm. So obviously in the last three months, you haven't had that much time to no. dine elsewhere. But if you were to name a few places that 
maybe they're not new, but sure, that, sure, you were, sure. that you were spending time eating at before the project opened, yeah, you know, actually yeah, reached yeah. completion, where would you go? Well, I mean, I have to say Moscovale first, which is obviously a bit biased as my girlfriend's place, mm-hmm. but I try and get there on Mondays and have a coffee and a granola and, and start my, my week like that. I don't work Mondays. Um, I think definitely the clown bar was probably my favorite spot to eat when I had the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that Soto, the chef, has now left, so I'm really excited to get back and, and see how they – I don't know who the new cook is, actually, but go back and see how they're doing there, and I'm sure it's still absolutely fantastic. That was very adventurous. He I mean, w- it is adventurous cooking. Yeah, it's, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I felt like that was – I mean, they, they, you know, they do brains and pigeon and all these things that can be challenging for some people, but – it was great. Everything that was on the menu was just so amazing. I've had such some great meals at Clambar, I really have. Um, and then, you know, I guess uh, Le Grand Barn, where Ed is now, is, yeah. is my go-to spot for fun and, and where you can, you know, it's the place where everyone knows your name and you walk in and you get a kiss from all the staff and there's a glass of wine in front of you before you've even, before you've even sat down. Pretty true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're just so nice there, the two Eds that are running that place. They just, really are wonderful. Yeah, so that's great. So I think they were, they were my kind of my hotspots at Paris, yeah. Wow, all very focused in the 11th slash you know, it's, 19th. I know, small. I know. It's we, so, uh, I don't get out of these areas, well, why do, What's the point? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just teasing. There is a point, but yeah. we, we really are spoiled for choice, aren't absolutely, we? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So three months in, a lot more, I'm sure, that's going to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, the summer will bring... All sorts of new products, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, how, yeah. how regularly are you rotating the menu then? Um, you know, as regular as we feel that it, ne- it needs to change, we'll, um, you can't ignore the seasons. And when the seasons change, the menu has to change. Right. Um, we're really lucky that we've actually got our own garden that we're working with in the countryside. Um, oh, yeah. So that's really good for us. And that's vegetables grown for Robert and Martin which, again, makes my job super, super easy. We're just getting these amazing quality vegetables delivered straight to the door half a day after they've been harvested. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess what's, I think, one of the entrees is changing this week and new dessert is coming on this week, you know, always trying to get better. Oh, and you had speculos in your dessert yeah, this last yeah. week, which, you know, sort of also fell off the menus because it went so in the opposite direction toward uber modern that right. it's just really lovely it's and so warm, nice. yeah. spicy totally. kind of flavor. So. Yeah. As long as you keep doing fresh pasta, I'm going to be there because I just think that adds something really unique to yeah, cool. to the neighborhood. It'll be on there, I think. Okay. That's not going anywhere. Please, please don't take cool. it off <laughs> ever. Pete, thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. Uh, do come back. I want to know in, in a year where things are at. Sounds good. And, uh, and we can talk again. But I hope you do get out to see what Clown Bar is like now. Yeah, yeah. It'll be the next one. On one of your days off. Yeah. Um, but thanks for being here. And for everybody else, catch up on all the old episodes uh, on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you stream podcasts, and on new World Radio Paris is what I meant to say. And uh, follow us on Twitter at New Paris Podcast, all one word. A bientôt.